Morning. We've been walking through the scriptures in 12 phrases over the last little while. And we are at a point now where we've arrived uh, at the end of Deuteronomy and the end of Moses' life. Uh, the Israelites are getting ready to enter the promised land, this land that is described as flowing with milk and honey. And in the process, Moses is reminding the people of the responsibilities that they have and what it will mean for them to live in this land. Now, land plays a fairly pivotal role in the Old Testament. In fact, there are many scholars who would argue uh, when asked the question, what is the main theme of the Old Testament? That there are many scholars who would argue that the main theme is land. That it is the promise to receive land. It is receiving or getting the land. It is holding on to the land, then losing the land, then getting it back again, and then how not to lose it again. Everything that we're talking about so far actually begins with land. If we start with creation, we have creation of land. Right? Then Adam and Eve are placed in a garden, which is a piece of land. And their ability to inhabit it and to thrive in that land is dependent on the relationship they have with God. Abraham's story then moves us into a guided tour of the land that God promises to him and to his descendants. And all the action after that takes place in that land with Israel's ancestors struggling to establish themselves in that place. Then the famine story in Genesis where Joseph is sold into slavery and then rescues his family is a story about Israel's move to Egypt out of the land that they were promised and into a land that was not theirs. It is about the people's removal from that land, and then eventually their slavery in a foreign land. Israel is then delivered from Egypt so they can re-enter the land. Along the way at Mount Sinai, they are given a code of laws to establish rules of conduct and rules of worship as a nation in a specific land. So once again, the main storyline that runs through Israel's entire historical narrative 
and the prophetic writings is about a small nation's struggle to keep their land. The entire Old Testament can be, can be understood as a story concerning the establishment of the land in which a person can be truly human and at home. Land is at the heart of Israel's story. Why? I mean, what does land represent? What is it about the land that is so important and so crucial? What does it represent to Israel? And what ultimately does this concept of land represent to us? I'm going to propose three ideas. First, land represents place. For a people that had experienced 400 years of displacement, the thought of having a place of their own was the ultimate dream. This place, this physical space, this promised land represented to the Israelites the ability for them to know where they belonged. To begin to be able to govern themselves and to become the people that God had called them to be in a specific space. It was a place of abundance, a fertile space, a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, Exodus 3.8 uses these words, a good and spacious place flowing with milk and honey. The concept of a good and spacious place, this idea of a good and spacious place, stands in direct opposition to the word used for Egypt in the same verse. Egypt is named Mitzrayim, or literally translated, the narrow place. Slavery in Egypt confined the Israelites to a narrow place where they experienced severe restrictions on their physical, emotional, and spiritual lives. Things that they could not do. Things that they were not allowed to participate in. This narrow place prevented them from being fully themselves. It prevented them from truly experiencing God and from living out the lives that God intended for them from the beginning. This land of milk and honey, this, this promised land, this good and spacious place was bound to be their place where they could fully embrace all the promises that God had made to them. It was a place where they could experience that connection with God. It was a place where they could become more fully human. Last week, Mark talked about the Ten Commandments. 
And in my mind, the Ten Commandments are always this move to this is what it means to be human. It's a return to humanity to a people from whom it has been stolen. Because when you are a slave, you are no longer human. You are somebody's property. You are less than human. And 400 years of living less than human, you forget what it means to be human. So God is bringing you now back to a place where you can discover what it means to be human. But it's not just that. Because He's giving you this space where not only can you experience what it means to be fully human, not only can you experience this connection with the living God, but you get to live in a way that shows the rest of the nations what this looks like. What it means to be fully connected. What it means to be fully human. What it means to live in a way that acknowledges who God is and what He has done. This is the power of place. And it is one of the things that the land represents. Second, the land represents presence. Because while the land offered the Israelites a place, it also represents their ability to be present for themselves, to acknowledge the presence of God in their midst, and to be present to the other nations so that they can see what it means to serve the living God. In Exodus 25.8, God tells Moses that the people are to make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. He then goes on to describe how that sanctuary or that tabernacle, if you will, was to be built. Now what did this sanctuary, what did this tabernacle represent? The presence of God in the midst of the people of Israel. It was designed at first to be portable, to be carried around. Why? Because the people were still on the move. They hadn't settled yet. They were still wandering in the wilderness. Wherever they were, the people would know that God was going with them. This was the progression from the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire described in Exodus 13. This tabernacle, this physical representation of God in their midst, was only possible because of the place that they were going. Now as they settled in this land of milk and honey, in this promised land, the tabernacle would eventually evolve into the temple. And the temple was a permanent structure 
that continued to represent the presence of God in the midst of the nation of Israel. See, God's presence was vital to the Israelites. It represented blessing. It represented security. It represented the fulfillment of, province, of promises, all of which were tied to this concept of land. So this ability to understand that God was present with them, this ability for them to be present for themselves, which was not something they had when they were in slavery, and this ability to be a presence for the rest of the world. This also is what the land represents. So it represents place. It represents presence. But even more so, it also represents a sense of permanence. The land will always be there. There is a permanence to it that appeals to a transient population like Israel. After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, after being in slavery in a foreign land for 400 years, the idea of having a permanent place to settle, to cultivate, to raise a family, to live, becomes powerfully attractive. This sense of permanence is absolutely linked to God's presence, who is always with them. We talked about it's represented by the pillars of cloud and fire, then by the tabernacle, then by the temple. God's presence becomes a permanent fixture in their midst. And they are to live their lives in constant awareness of that presence. As well as in the knowledge of who God is and what He's done for them. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9 gives the Israelites the following instructions. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now that should sound familiar. Because somebody we know said that somewhere. I'm pretty sure. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and I shall talk and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I mean, there's a sense of permanence in those words, isn't there? Like I read that and I think. There's a sense of this ongoing, permanent thing that's happening. Generation after generation after generation being taught about who God is and what He has done. And all of this tied to the land. Place. Presence. 
permanent. This is what the land represents to the people of Israel. And in the end, when I start to think about it, these three concepts are incredibly important to me. And I believe that they're incredibly important to all of us. Because in the end, we all want to find somewhere that we belong, don't we? We want to find our place. We all crave connection. We crave connection with ourselves, with others, with something greater than us. This is the foundation of what it means to be a spiritual being. This desire we have for connection. We want to experience presence. To experience our ability to be present. To experience the presence of others. And to experience the presence of God. We want to feel safe enough to truly be present. Finally, we're looking for a sense of permanence. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a transient, meaningless life. I want a solid foundation on which I can build my life. I want to be able to know that what I'm building my life on won't let me down. That it will always be there. I'm going to attempt to try and tie all these statements together by looking at three statements that Jesus made. The first one is found in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, or 28, sorry, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus has directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I read that passage and I go, there are echoes in here of the passage that I read from Deuteronomy 6. In Matthew 28, uh, Jesus touches on the three concepts we mentioned. He touches on these concepts of place, of presence, and of permanence. First, Jesus states that his presence will be with us. Wherever we are, 
wherever we find ourselves. Now this is interesting because it's a little bit of a switch from what's going on in the Old Testament where God's presence was tied to a specific piece of real estate. Right? Wherever we go, God is already there. He is already present. That's important for us to know and understand. It's important for us because it should change some of the mindsets that we've had traditionally. I don't know about you, and they are changing, but I don't know about you, but I remember early on in my Christianity going to church and missions work, and we would make a statement like, we're going to go bring God to those people. Like God isn't already there. Wherever we go, God is already present. God, God's presence is no longer tied to one particular piece of real estate. It's no longer tied to one particular place, yet the concept of place is still important. It's still important here, even in this passage, because place is now seen as the journey, not the destination. What do I mean by that? Our place is the whole world. What does this passage say to us? Go into the whole world. All nations. No longer are we tied to one specific spot, but rather we are go to go into the whole world. Our place is everywhere. Because that's where God's presence is. And our place is intimately tied to the presence of God in our midst. Now Jesus adds an addendum here to this passage. He states that He will be with us when? So the passage say he'll be with us when? Always. He'll be with us always. Now there's a permanence to that, isn't there? He will be with us, not sometimes, not when we're good enough, not if we read our Bible enough or pray enough or say the right words or go to the right church or sing the right songs, but he will be with us Always. See, this is the life that God always intended for us. There is nothing else that needs to be done or added. On the cross, Jesus cried out in loud words, It is finished. It's finished. There's nothing more to be done. There's nothing more to be added. You don't need to add anything to this. He's accomplished it. He's taken care of it. And it's permanent. Like Paul states in Romans, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is permanent. Place, presence, and permanence were what God was offering to the Israelites in the promised land. And they are what he is offering to each of us right now. Second John 10.10 10 reads this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus promises us life. And not, not just life, but a full and abundant life. Right? I often talk about the difference when I'm teaching. This concept that we can be alive, I know I can be alive. I can be breathing and eating and sleeping and have all the semblances of life but still be dead. Right? Any of us who have struggled with addiction understand the concept of the walking dead. Right? We can be alive. We're doing all the things that show that we're breathing, but we're dead. Jesus promises us a full and abundant life. It's a promise that echoes from the Old Testament again talk about that passage in Exodus 3.8 where God states that he will bring the Israelites to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey. I mean other than my bowl of honey nut Cheerios I don't necessarily put those two things together very often. But what do they represent? What are they? The ancient Near Eastern mind, these two things would have been symbols of abundance, fertility, and healing. Honey was seen to have healing qualities. Milk represented fertility. They represent all that is good, all that is healthy, all that is necessary to live a life of abundance and fullness. And they are provided freely from a God who loves us and longs for us to prosper. This abundant life, or the concept of this abundant life and what it might look like can be found in the final passage I want to look at this morning, and that is in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28-30 reads this. It's a passage that many of us who have been around the church for a while have heard. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I've spoken on this before. 
one of my questions every time I read this passage is, what would it look like for me to live under an easy yoke and a light burden? Is your faith defined by this concept of an easy yoke and a light burden? Or is it a heavy one? And a difficult one? As a church, maybe not us specifically, but as a church in general, we become very, very good at creating difficult yokes and heavy burdens for people. You must do this. You must do that. You have to do this. You have to say this and dress like this and go here and read this and do that. Is that what Jesus intended for us? I think this call, this statement, contains a powerful invitation that resonates deep within all of us. It is an image of rest, of peace, of, of shalom, for lack of a better word. Jesus invites us to come to him and find rest for our souls. It is a call for us to come out of our slavery and enter our land of milk and honey. To come out of the years of heavy labor and experience our light burden. To leave our place of scarcity and discover our abundant life. To leave our narrow place and find the good and spacious land that God has promised. To put down the burdens of slavery and discover the freedom and rest that Jesus offers. This is what Jesus promises. An abundant life, a light burden, and an easy yoke. That sounds pretty good to me. Taking on Jesus' yoke is simply about becoming more Christ-like in our world. To believe and act like the one we claim to follow. I feel like I'm a broken record on repeat here. Because I know I say this every time, but I can't stress enough how important I believe this concept to be. That living this life, this abundant life, is not about believing certain things about Jesus. It's about believing like Him. It is hearing God speak words of love over you and believing that they are true. That when God says to Jesus as He comes out of the waters of baptism, this is my beloved child. 
that those are the same words He speaks over you. This is my beloved child. It is knowing that God is love. It is knowing that that will never change. It is knowing that that love is here for each of you. And having all your actions guided by this one fundamental truth. God loves you. This is what it means to be more Christ-like. This is the light burden, the easy yoke, the abundant life. This is our land of milk and honey. And it's here, waiting for us to enter. Let's pray. God, once again, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for your love for us. I want to thank you that that is true in all circumstances. God, I want to thank you for this simple truth. And yet I know that this simple truth can be very difficult for us to believe, to understand, and to make real in our lives. I just pray, God, that we would hear those words. This is my beloved child. We would begin to allow them to permeate our being and change us, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we see you, and change the way we see others. And in that change, we would begin to see this abundant life, this easy yoke, this light burden, this land of milk and honey made real in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.